family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. During this Lenten season, we have been looking at questions that are asked in the Bible, specifically questions that God is asking. And when I When we have those questions, when those appear in Scripture, God asks the questions because He wants us to think about something. He wants us to ponder it and think about it deeply. He knows the answer. He's got it covered. But Lent is this time of reflection and renewal, and it is the perfect time for questions that we ask God and that God asks of us. The thing about God, if you've ever had a child you've picked up from school and you said, how was your day? What was their answer? Fine. A nice little one-word answer, isn't it? God's questions are never one-word answers. <laughs> They're always given to us to help us to think, to dive deeper, to understand Him and to reveal Him. They are meant to stop us in our tracks and have us reflect on Him and who we are in relationship to Him. So as we read the scripture today, I'm going to read from uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. So if you'll stand this morning for the reading of God's word as you are able. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at the head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And went in the strength of the food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. 
And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall appoint, anoint Hazel to be king of Syria. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In reading the scripture, decided that tone matters in that question. There's the, what are you doing here when you run into someone in the grocery store unexpectedly, or you see someone in a place where you weren't expecting to see them, and you say, what are you doing here? And there's an element of surprise, and you're excited to see them because you had this chance encounter. And then there's the mom tone. You just found your child doing something they're not supposed to be doing. What are you doing here? And then there's the tone of compassion. What are you doing here? How did you end up here? And I think that how we hear that inflection and how we hear the way that God says those words matters tremendously. And I think that God said those from that tone of compassion. I think when he asked Elijah that question, he knew that Elijah was tired and fearful. But he didn't chasten him. He didn't lecture him. He didn't get on to him or correct him in any way. He just displayed his glory for him and reminded him of who he is. I want us to go back a little bit in this story because I think we need a little bit of context because we've kind of just got Elijah on the run at this point. But I think to truly understand how Elijah ended up in a cave feeling alone and rejected and discouraged, we've got to see where he came from, where that journey started. So I'm going to give you a quick review of 1 of, um, of Kings. First chapters 1 through 11 is all about Solomon's reign. He builds the temple and then makes a series of bad choices. He introduces worship of idols not only to the people of Israel but into the temple. And he basically breaks every rule that God has set out for his kings. In chapters 12 through 16 of 1 Kings, Israel is split into two, into the northern and the southern tribes. And the kings are supposed to worship God alone to rid Israel of idolatry and be faithful to the covenant. That's what they're called to do. That's what God asked them to do. The northern kingdom, just if your case you're keeping score, is 0 for 20 on that. And the southern kingdom is 8 for 12. So southern kingdom doing better, but still not fantastic. The kings aren't remembering what they are called to do, who is the source of their power and who they serve. 
And so God introduces this role of prophets who are to speak on God's behalf. They're to call out idolatry and injustice and to extend the call to repent. And this is where we find Elijah, the prophet, and King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. God early on gives Elijah the ability to determine when it will rain. And God sends Elijah to Zarephath and tells him to go and stay with this widow who will feed him and take care of him. And while he is there, her son passes away and he raises her son from the dead. He hid prophets that were being persecuted by Ahab and Jezebel. He hid them in caves and fed them for 50, in groups of 50. He has seen God work in amazing and beautiful ways. And he has seen God provide. When he confronts Ahab, he says, uh, Ahab calls him the troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, "Mm -mm. you troubled Israel when you abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed Baal. And so what he does is he tells Ahab, what I want you to do is I want you to gather all the people and the prophets of Baal. And he tells them, you can choose your bull, you can set this all up yourself, and you call upon your name of God, on the name of your God. And let's see what happens. And we're going to do the same thing. You build yours, we'll build ours. And this is what Elijah says. They called out to God all day long, to their gods, to their idols, and nothing happened. First King says, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. But Elijah, who is faithful, he builds an altar out of 12 stones for the 12 stones of Israel. He makes a trench around it, which, you know, considering we got a a bull here, it's a pretty big trench probably. So picture that. And he pours the, puts the wood on there. They put the burnt offering to be sacrificed on there. And then he has his people pour jugs of water over the bull and the wood. And it fills the trench surrounding this fire. And Elijah calls on the Lord, and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed, not just burned, but consumed the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust. And it says, Scripture says it licked up the water in the trench. And so this is when um, Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. That's who Ahab and Jezebel are so angry, what they're so angry about. It's after this incident, after they have experienced and seen who God is, that their God answers and meets them where they are. But these idols that they're worshiping are silent. They have no power. And then he goes on to cause it to rain again. There had been a time of drought for three and a half years that Elijah had prayed for, and he calls on it to rain. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. So Ahab goes back, reports to Jezebel what happened, and this is when she threatens him. This is where we pick up in chapter 19. And what do we see Elijah doing? He hightails it out of town. He is gone. There was no go command in there when you look at the scripture. He just left. Didn't wait around to see if there was going to be a command. He just left. 
for some reason, fear sprang up in him. And instead of resting on the God that he knows as he had for the past three and a half years, he feared Jezebel. And he ran all the way to Beersheba. So fearful that at some point he leaves his servant behind and traveled 15 more miles into the desert, sits down under that broom tree and declares, Lord, just take me now. I don't know what to do. He was exhausted. He was discouraged. And so he prayed he would just die and he lay down and fell asleep. Now my mother is very wise and she has always told me in a multitude of situations in my life, used to make me so mad when I was a teenager, there's nothing a good night's sleep can't help. <laughs> and I feel like this is what Elijah needed. He needed rest. He needed a good night's sleep because that good night's sleep, when you wake up the next morning, my mom is right about this, and this is being recorded so I'll probably have to share this with her. <laughs> Things look different in the morning. Things look different in the morning once we've had that rest. And so in the morning, the angel appeared to him and gave him food and water. God provided. And then the angel sent him on his way. Now to Israel and to the people reading and hearing this, this would have sounded really familiar because he sent him on his way for 40 days. The journey of where he was actually going was about 200 miles. It should have taken him about 14 days to do it. But it kind of appears, and it doesn't tell us in Scripture what he was doing. Was he evading the enemy? Was he lost? Was he just wandering around? Was he trying to figure out his next steps? We just know that he was in the desert for 40 days. Just like Moses and his people were in the desert for 40 years, and God used that time to reshape and to mold them so that they could see things differently. I think that's what's happening to Elijah, that during this time, God is using that and speaking to him and helping him figure all of this out. God's reshaping his heart. And then finally, he makes it to the mountain of God. And he took refuge in a cave. And God begins with, what are you doing here? And his answer is the same. He says, it's like he thinks he's the only one left. That there's no one else that's, gonna, that, that's left, that he is the last that everything he has done has been for nothing. When my uh, middle son was probably about four years old, we were having dinner one night, his name's Caleb, and he's my, my one who takes things very seriously. And um, he said something, he's got a really funny, witty sense of humor, and one night he said something, and we all started laughing, and he did not like that. And so he got up, left the dinner table, went up to his room, and so I went, followed him, gave him a minute, went and followed him. And then I stood outside of his door for a second because I could hear him in there talking. So he was having a conversation in there. And I could hear him. He's also my pacer. He's pacing back and forth. And I hear him say, God, I'm the only person in this family doing the God thing. <laughs> <laughs> in that moment, he felt like he was the only person doing the God thing. I think Elijah felt like he was the only person 
doing the God thing. But the reality is that's not true. There's times when we think that. But God is with us. I think Elijah thought he was done. He had built this fire. He had called God down. God had appeared. The, everything had been consumed. The, the enemy had been vanquished. And I think he thought, okay, I'm done. But he wasn't. He wasn't done yet. And so I think his fear comes from, in that moment, starting to think, well, maybe God doesn't really have this. When Jezebel threatened him, he wavered and questioned that. Because this cave was not a part of God's plan. Yes, God met Elijah in the desert and guided him there. But originally, this isn't where God had sent him to be. But God met him there. And that's what our God does. He meets us in places even when we're off track, even when we're not in the places that he called us to be. When we're disobedient, when we don't trust God, we end up in places where we are not supposed to be. We end up sitting in a cave, hiding in fear and shame and dealing with the consequences of our sin. He doesn't mention when God questions him, he doesn't remember and recall all the situations that God saw him through. The way God provided for the prophets that he hid in the cave, the way that, um, that God had been with him when he went and raised that child from the dead. All he felt and knew was his fear and discouragement. And that caused him to only see the dark side of things. He felt failure in spite of saying he was zealous for the Lord. He was zealous for God. And yet, he's hiding in a cave right now. Doesn't sound very zealous. And I think that happens to us sometimes as well. We can be so zealous for God and so hopeful and yet at times feel discouraged at times be fearful. When we raise our children in the church and we have prayed over them and we have brought them to church every Sunday and we've done everything that we can to teach them God's word, as they grow and become adults on their own, many walk away from that faith. And yet we are still zealous for God. And yet we know that discouragement of what it feels like to experience that. But when God finds him in the cave, he doesn't chasten him. He doesn't lecture him. He just demonstrates his ways and his power. God reminds him of his power, his provision, and then he asks him the question again, but this time in a whisper. When I used to work at a summer camp, one of the best advice I got early on working there was when you're trying to get the kids to do something, don't yell, just whisper. They'll start to get quiet because they want to hear what you're saying. 
Sometimes the best way to get someone's attention is to whisper. And I think that's what God was doing to Elijah in this moment. And Elijah's answer is still the same. So it makes us have to pause and kind of wonder, did he learn anything? Did he figure this out? Because his answer is still the same. He still has those same feelings. But this time, God's response is go. And this time, he gives him an assignment to anoint two kings, to make Elisha his successor. And Elijah does it. He goes, even in the midst of those feelings. And maybe we don't know if those feelings are completely resolved yet, but he's obedient. And God tells him um, in the verses following this that he left 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed or kissed idols in worship. That may not be what Elijah wanted, but it's what God needed. That's all God needed was that remnant of 7,000 that he left there. That's all he had to do. Maybe Elijah needed to understand that what he thought of as success wasn't necessarily what God needed. As we look into the New Testament, we see Elijah brought up again, and I love this verse. This is what James 5.17 says. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. And here's what the verse immediately after it says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I don't think it's any accident that when James is talking about how we have a like nature with Elijah and how he prayed fervently, that the next thing he mentions, if anyone among you wanders. Even in our zealousness, there are times of fear and discouragement. And in the season of Lent, we reflect on those things. And we, we, we ponder them and we pray over them. But then, God meets us in our cave, and he picks us up, and he dusts us off, and he sends us on our way. There's times when even us in our like nature, we're zealous for God and we're obedient, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves overwhelmed and fearful and not trusting in God's provision and power. And if anyone among you wanders from the truth is, the truth of who God is, the truth of the extent of God's love for you, the truth that God will seek you out and find you and not chasten or reprimand you, but remind you of whose you are. He will whisper it to you. God will always save us when we wander. We don't have to start over with God. I kind of liken this to like a sobriety chip in AA. 
if you have your years, a year of sobriety and then you drink again, you start back over. Y'all, God's grace is way bigger. We don't start back over with him. He just meets us where we are. He picks us up. And he tells us to trust and obey him. And now go and do as I taught you. And sometimes the problems seem so big and so overwhelming that our first response is to run away from the situation that God has put us in. That can happen in ministry and who we are as a church. It happens to us as individuals as well. We have an amazing foster care ministry at this church. And sometimes that problem can seem so huge and so overwhelming. Sometimes the problems of homelessness or things, injustice, racism, things that we see out in society, we get discouraged because we're not sure if we're making a difference. Sometimes that can become more individual in our marriage or family conflict. It seems so overwhelming and so big that we can't overcome it. And we're prone to wander. But God is there, meeting us in that cave, providing us with the sustenance that we need while we are wandering around the desert figuring it out. Then he meets us in our cave and says, what are you doing here? These questions are meant to be pondered. So this week, I want us to go and ponder that question. Are you in a place that you've arrived at out of fear or shame or disobedience? Then listen for God's whisper this week. This is not where you are supposed to be. You are meant to be relying on God which means listening and being obedient to what God is asking of you and doing in your life. And we have our moments. But through God's grace, he picks us back up. Or maybe you can remember a time when you were wandering and found yourself in a cave and God whispered to you, picked you back up, and got you back on your path. Share that with someone this week. That's how we share and remember what God has done for us. It reminds us of the miracles that God has done in our life and the hope in Christ that we have to share with others. And so as we continue on this journey together, as we continue to look at these questions, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. Even James talks about it as people begin to wander that their hope is in Christ. And that is where we know that we are met with God and we hear that whisper, that whisper of love and grace and mercy that calls us back into God's presence. As we do this this week, as we ponder these questions, as we sit with them, the Old Testament is really good about that. We have these long narratives and stories and they're there for a reason. They're there so that we can ponder and think about these things. So take that question and take it with you this week. And then look for the ways that God reveals himself to you when you respond to that question, when you listen to it. And let God meet you in that place and sit and experience his power and his provision and his love and his grace 
and then go and share that with others. Go back to your mission that God has called you to and go and share that with others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.